Father God, um, we come to you this morning um, open to hear and receive your message. God, I pray that the words that I deliver this morning aren't mine. I pray that they are your message. Um, so God, lay that on my heart this morning. God, as we come here um, from all corners of the area, bringing all unknown um, praises, all, all struggles, God, I just pray that, um, that we can lay that down at your feet this morning that we can walk away um, as a people that can look to the promise and not be focused on the things that can tear us up and rip us apart. God, we love you. We praise you. And all God's people said, amen. All right. What a week. Um, We um, had VBS this week, so some of you guys, I think, had been here for that. Um, It's always entertaining to see grown men get dressed up in costumes in order to entertain little children. Um, it was really a good time. In case you missed it, you can go to our Facebook or our Instagram page and you can see pictures of Willie and Phil and Jace and Cy and the whole gang um, up, up there doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, I heard Phil had some dance moves that people had just never even, had never even seen before. Um, it was really a good time. What's cool about VBS or anything like that is it kind of turns into an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing for our, our church because we don't have a ton of people. We're few, but we're, we're mighty. And uh, when VBS or something like that happens, it seems like a disproportionate amount of church members step up to serve. Um, it's very encouraging. People were leaving work, driving straight here uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night to don beards and entertain your children and love on them and show them Jesus. So I want to say a huge thank you um, to everyone that volunteered this last week. Um, we're going to be continuing our series, Fan or Follower, this morning. This past few weeks, we've been examining um, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, not just a fan. Um, what are the attributes, the characteristics? What is it that Jesus is calling us to when we say that we want to follow after him? And we've gone straight to the source for this information. We've looked at the red letters in Scripture. Last week, Pastor Shannon brought us a message on um, what it was going to look like for us as followers in this cultural climate as hostilities continue to rise against those of us that call ourselves Christians. This morning, I want us to take a look at worship. Um, worship is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, not because I like to sing worship music, okay? Um, I, uh, I love to worship God, so I don't want you guys to get me wrong. Um, but my biggest fear in the world is that my little microphone is going to be left on during one of the worship services. And you're going to hear just how awful I am at singing worship music. Um, but I love somebody that loves to sing worship music. So some of you guys may know that my wife is up here sometimes and she will lead us in worship on Sunday mornings um, on occasion. What you may not know, though, is that we actually met by way of leading worship. So we both went to the same church. I wanted to uh, help lead worship, but I, again, am not musically inclined. So a friend of mine said, hey, dude, pick up, pick up the bass guitar. There's like three chords, and so you learn three notes on a bass. It's like three simple things. You can stand in the back. Most people turn the bass guy down if he's messing up anyways. You should come help us lead on Wednesday nights. And so I did. I went over to Zoom Music in Garland, for any of you native Garlandites, um, and bought a $200 bass and amp and started to play in the youth group on Wednesday nights. And lo and behold, there was this shy, little, quiet blonde. She was a blonde at the time. She wasn't a brunette. And um, a couple weeks in, I would drive a buddy of mine home, and he lived in the same neighborhood as her. And so um, it's... It seemed only natural that I would take her home as well. And so I did. And we would sit in the car and we would talk and she fell madly, deeply in love with me. 
She did. And uh, I completely ignored her. Uh, she loves to tell the story because I would usually ask her for dating advice for other girls. And uh, it's not the way to a woman's heart. Uh, it worked for me, but uh, I was kind of a knucklehead. So guys, that's, if you all walk away with any little nugget of information, be careful with the girls that you're talking to, okay? Um, but lo and behold, eight years down the road, I come walking into the back of church one Sunday night, and that little blonde, now a brunette, is on stage, and she's singing, and the rest is history. Um, I was all of a sudden into her a lot more than she was probably into me at that particular time. So, uh, worship is something for me that was a conduit for me to actually end up meeting my wife. So, as I started to prepare for this sermon this morning, um, Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well really started to jump off the pages at me. Um, and I have to be honest, I actually thought I had already preached to you guys about worship. Um, as I started to prepare for this and I started kind of writing down notes, I was like, well, I feel like I've already said this. I feel like I've already said this. And part of that is because every week for about 30 seconds, I get up in front of you guys and I talk about worship. But I think worship is more than just the three songs that, that are at the beginning of a service and the two songs that are after. And so what I really want us to do is I want us to kind of tear apart what worship is so that way we can, I think, approach it from a whole new way. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open those up. We're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. Um, before we get into that, I kind of want to set the stage for y'all a little bit. I think it's important to understand context of Scripture, and so um, I like to see the whole picture and kind of like to know what's going on. So what we find here in John chapter 4 is uh, Jesus has left Judea, and he's on his way to Galilee. And while he's on his way to Galilee, he gets to a point where he's, he's parched, he's thirsty. Um, and so he stops in a little town in Samaria called Sychar, and he finds this well. It's Jacob's well. And he's sitting there at this well when this young woman comes walking up to the well in order to draw some water. And Jesus engages her in conversation. Um, now this is kind of a taboo thing at this particular point in time because Jesus is a Jew, the woman is a, Samar a Samarian, and so for them to talk to each other is kind of unheard of. But even more than that, a guy talking to a woman in public one-on-one -on -one like that, he's crossing a lot of boundaries culturally. But he throws a question out to her. He engages her in kind of this beautiful exchange um, by asking her a very simple question. It's just, will you draw me some water? She's a little thrown off. She's a little confused. But she starts to draw him some water. And he throws a challenge out to her. He says, you know, this water that you're pulling out of this well, um, you, you're going to be thirsty again. If you drink of it, you're going to need more water. But I can provide water for you that will make you never have to thirst ever again. Now, the woman doesn't get the connection here, though. Jesus is talking about himself. like He's basically revealing to her, hey, look, I'm the Messiah, and she doesn't get it at all. In fact, her response is kind of like, okay, I want this water because I don't want to come to the well anymore. It, it's work for me to have to come to the well. I don't want to be thirsty ever again, so give me some of this magic water. She's completely missed the connection. So Jesus kind of starts to engage her from another angle. He starts to talk to her a little bit about um, her situation. And he begins to reveal her situation to her before she can fully disclose it to him. Basically, she's been married five times. She's living with a guy that she's not married to. Her scene is a little, it's in bad shape. And as Jesus starts to kind of pull all of this stuff out and the sin starts to get revealed to her, she starts to grow more and more uncomfortable, right? Like all of her cards are being laid out on the table. And so she throws a question out and I don't know this for sure because it doesn't say in Scripture, but I have a feeling in the midst of her guilt, she throws this question out in hopes of throwing Jesus off the path a little bit. 
she starts to pick, pick up that he's, he might be a prophet. She doesn't think that he's necessarily the Messiah. But the last thing she wants is to be talking about herself. And so this is what she says. We're going to start in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. It's kind of the debate two-step that she's doing here, right? She is, is hoping that this question will get him into a heated conversation and get him off the trail. I want you to think about a time when you have shared the gospel with somebody, and as their sin starts to, to come out of them, and you start to see that guilt and that shame, and they, they decide that they're going to pose a question to you in order to hopefully get the subject off of them. Like, like why won't Christian bakers make cakes for sinners or something crazy, right? That's what she's doing here. She's hoping to kind of get him off of the trail. Verse 21, Jesus continues, and Jesus responds, and he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So her plan backfires. She doesn't get in this heated debate with Jesus about where we should be worshiping at. Instead, Jesus flips the whole idea of worship up on its head for her. See, during this particular period of time, people, when they would worship, it was a very ritualistic type thing. It was very complex. The time, the preparation, the, the place that they needed to worship at. If there was a sacrifice involved, then, then there was all kinds of things they had to do to make sure that that was prepared, prepared properly. And they couldn't even really enter into the holy place. That was only for priests, and they had to go through even more stringent things in order to be able to worship. This was the form of worship that she knew and understood was this type of ritualistic form. But Jesus tells her here in this particular piece of scripture that none of that matters. If it's this mountain or that mountain or if it's in Jerusalem, it doesn't matter. But she, like most people during that particular period of time, and to be honest, like most of us, we get really caught up on the, the where and the how. And we completely miss the who and the why of worship. The time has come, he says in this verse, for the true worshipers to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. True worshipers, the followers, not the fans. And I think this is where the modern church gets a little bit off course in regards to worship because worship has become about the where and the how and not the who and the why. So let's start off with the what, though. What is worship? And what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? So I want to pose a question to you guys. And y'all don't have to respond. I have to clarify response is not needed because my students like to yell out things. Think about what Christian worship is in your mind right now. If you had to think Christian worship is this, if you had to define it, what is that? We meet in a worship center, okay? The building, we call it a worship center. We pass out worship guides when you walk in. I don't know why we call them worship guides. They're not really guiding anything. They're really more like announcements or bulletins, but we call them worship guides. We have a worship leader that comes up here on stage and he leads you in worship songs. We have a lot of worship stuff on Sunday morning, but what does the word worship even mean? Well, the most popular word in scripture for worship is a Greek word, proskuneo, and it means to kiss towards. So I want to put it in a context for you or use it in a sentence. When you think of kissing towards, especially during this particular period of time, it was kind of like kings or noblemen or governors. If they came in and you were going to pay homage or give honor to that individual, then they would hold their ring out and you would bow down and you would kiss the ring or you'd kiss their garment. 
It was a way of showing honor for them or allegiance to them. But easily defined for us, if I was going to put it into two words, it's simply to give honor. To give honor. So what Jesus is saying here in this particular piece of Scripture is give God honor. Give Him honor in spirit and in truth. The problem, though, is for most of us, worship has become more about getting than it is about giving. It's become an experience intended to try to force us into some sort of emotional reaction or to engage us. And sadly, church leadership has bought into this worship experience idea. They want to cater to the needs of the congregation. Because if things aren't just right for people in regards to corporate worship, they won't come back to church. Or they'll leave the church they're at if things change. Or even worse than that, they're just going to complain a whole lot. The worship's too loud, or it's too soft, it's too fast, or it's too slow. Why is there only an acoustic guitar on stage? I really like the electric guitar. The lights are way too dim. I can't see what's going on, or the lights are way too bright. And I don't want people to see my face while I'm worshiping, because I make a horrible worship face. My favorite is, why does the worship guy talk, to, talk so much? He talks way too much. The guy's always praying. He's always reading scripture. He's not the preacher. Why is he talking all the time? Think about that, though, for a second. The worship experience for people is ruined because some guy's talking about Jesus. Here's the point, though. It's not about you. But that's how fans of Jesus approach worship. That's how fans of Jesus really approach their salvation. They want it to be about me. They want it to make me feel good. They want it to be convenient for me or to be comfortable for me. And the problem with that approach is when it's all about you, then every time something better or more convenient comes along, you're going to choose that thing over Jesus every single time. And I don't want you to think that the congregation is particular in regards to corporate worship. Okay, They're not the only ones. Church leadership is as well. I can guarantee you that all over the world, church leadership is meeting and they're sitting down. I'm going to lift the curtain a little bit. and They're having conversations like, should we sing more hymns? Should we read more scripture? What key should we start off in? Should it be a major chord or should it be a minor chord? We've got to do three songs. If we do four songs, we can't keep them standing the whole time because they're going to get uncomfortable and they're going to want to sit down. They're having these types of conversations. And the reason that this is a hot topic is because consumer-based Christianity will shop around to find a service, to find what they can get instead of serving within a congregation and trying to find out how much they can give. Every Sunday... There are Christians that drive out of their communities, outside of their circles of influence, right past churches, that are trying to win people over for Jesus. Only so they can go to a building that they think is a little bit fancier, has a little bit better coffee, has a worship set that they really respond to, and hopefully a preacher that will give them really warm, warm fuzzies. So they can get back in their car and drive 45 minutes back home and feel good about themselves. But none of that stuff matters because worship's about giving. It's not about getting. It's about giving God honor. So how are we supposed to worship? How are we supposed to give God honor? He doesn't say in this particular verse that we uh, give worship in in the only form that we do that is in spirit and truth. He says that the true worship, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Give God honor in spirit and truth. You must But what in the world does worship in spirit and truth mean? To be honest, I had a hard time kind of verbalizing this. Like when I thought about it, I was like, okay, how am I going to describe this? 
Um, I, I didn't really know how to say it. And at first, I kind of thought, maybe Jesus is just throwing out two really cool prophetic words here, like worship in spirit and truth. And I feel like if I had walked in this morning and it had, my whole sermon was like, hey, guys, go worship in spirit and truth, most of y'all would walk out to your cars and you'd be like, I have no clue what in the world that guy just said to me. What in the world does worshiping in spirit and truth mean? So I want to start by setting a little bit of groundwork here for us. All right, Worship and salvation are intimately woven together. It's not possible for you to claim salvation in Jesus and then be completely disconnected from engaging him in worship. It's why when you look at scripture, you see repeatedly that when the truth of who Jesus is, people worship. It's the first response. When the wise men show up on the scene and little eight-pound, three-ounce baby Jesus is laying in the major, they realize he's the Messiah, and it says that they fell down and worshipped him. In John 9, when the blind man sees, it says that he believed and he worshipped. Jesus walks on water, he calms the sea, and the disciples worship him, and they declare, truly, you are the Son of God. It's because what we see is the intellectual realization that Jesus is who he says he is. And the response to that is worship. Real worship is not absent of that truth. If it is, then it's just an emotional response to a certain setting. I want to put this into context for you. Um, My students have started to notice one another. And here's what I mean. They have started to realize, the guys have realized that there's girls that are present. All right, The scales have been removed from their eyes. Now, when a 15- or 16-year-old boy begins to date for the first time, and let me clarify, I think they should wait until they're 30. (laughs) It saved me a whole lot of drama, okay? When they start to date, start to worship a young girl, all thought goes away. There are chemicals inside their body that cause them to just, they are operating purely off of emotion. All reason completely escapes them out the window. It's because their mind has become controlled by their emotions. Likewise, every year we go to camp and there's always that one night at camp when they're starting to get a little bit tired or they're finally starting to learn all the songs and they start crying and they start confessing everything that they've ever done because the environment has created them to start to respond that way. And they're convinced because of that emotional response that they must be a believer now. Like that's what salvation is, is that song making me cry. And they come back and they want to be baptized. And then 10 years down the road, that kid ends up leaving the church because nobody ever took the time to talk to them and look them in the eye and clearly let them know what justification was. To really tell them what the truth of God's saving grace is. About Jesus' death on the cross. And that we have free, the free gift of eternal life. And it's available for anybody that will worship him as Lord. Worshiping in spirit and truth is a head and heart type of worship. It's knowing the truth and falling so much in love with Jesus that your life's response is to worship him. It's not just an emotional response to that brunette with gorgeous blue eyes. It's more than that. Worship of God in spirit and truth is a collision of the truth of the gospel being realized in our mind and the outpouring of that adoration from our heart as the gravity of that sacrifice demands a response from us. When those two things mix, when our mind starts to realize that truth and our soul responds, the uncontrollable reaction is worship. We can't help it. 
And notice that I'm not saying singing here, all right? Now, I don't want you all to think that I'm dogging out corporate worship or singing because I'm, I'm not. Um, I think it's a very powerful thing. I think that when we come together as a body of believers and we understand that truth and with one voice we lift that truth up, it can be a very, very powerful thing. But this verse points out that it's not limited to that. Worship is not limited to a five-minute song. If the only time you worship God is during a five-minute song, then it doesn't mean that you're in love with Jesus. It means that you just really, really like the song. Every moment of our life needs to become about worshiping God. Everything we have, everything we do becomes about worshiping God. And truth be told, most of us worship ourselves. We worship the stuff that we have. We don't worship God. I'm going to tell you guys a story, and I've told this story a million times, and so if you've heard it, I apologize. I love telling stories. That's just it's what I do, and I repeat myself a lot. My wife has heard all of my stories like a million times. So um, I was living with the Cooks. So uh, Susan and Calvin Cook, their son's name is Shelby. Shelby helps out with the students. He's got a big burly beard. He's a ton of fun. I went through a period of my life where um, I needed to mooch off of somebody and, and the Cooks were it. And so I moved in with the Cooks. And um, one day I'm standing in their kitchen eating all their food because that's what you do when you're a vagabond like I was. And Susan is cleaning the house. And I mean, she is deep cleaning this house. And I notice her cleaning it, and so I start to talk to her, and I say, hey, you know, Susan, like, I think it's really neat that you open your home up. I was one of several people that, that had stayed there temporarily at Hotel Cook, and uh, um, I, I, I was affirming her and letting her know that I appreciated it. And uh, in the midst of that, though, I said, you know, you open your house up for all of these people, um, but you have to clean it all the time. Like, that really stinks that you've got to constantly be cleaning this home and picking up after everybody. I mean, it's just got to be brutal. And here's her response. And it totally defined what true worship was for me. She said, this isn't my house. It's God's house. Everything we have is because of him. So we use this home for God's glory. When I'm cleaning it, I don't get mad. I don't get frustrated. Because it's an opportunity for me to worship him. Cleaning my house is worship. The where and the how of worship didn't matter for Susan Cook because she fully understand the, the who and the why she was worshiping. She said it in one beautiful sentence. She said because everything that she had was because of him. Now, I'm going to reveal something to hear, here for Susan. I'm going to speak for her, even though she would, probably, <laughs> she would probably contest to me trying to put words in her mouth. But I don't think that Susan is talking about her home. I think when she is saying that everything that she has, she's talking about Jesus. He's enough. It doesn't matter how big their house is or what they've got or how much stuff they have. In fact, the Cooks just recently sold their home. They got rid of all of their stuff. They're living this minimalist lifestyle now, which I think is totally cool. But I have a feeling that even though they don't have as much as they used to, they're still going to continue to worship God by offering all of it up to his service. That is worship. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees ask Jesus what the greatest commandment is. They're trying to trip him up, right? They're trying to um, get him caught in not knowing, uh, you know, theology very well. And here's his response. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The Ryan Wheat translation of that is worship God with everything. Your time, your money, your stuff. None of that should matter because if we're worshiping him, then the only thing that matters is him. 
because everything we have is because of him. When we worship God with everything, then we begin to worship God through everything. Your mundane job becomes a platform for you to be able to make Christ known. The sports team that you play on, students, becomes an avenue for you to be able to worship God and for people to be able to see him. Your marriage, newsflash, an opportunity for you to worship God by loving your spouse. Parenting your children, worship. Likewise, children, obeying your parents, worship. But even beyond that, being creative, write a book or paint a painting, do, some, do something amazing. Let the brilliance of your life radiate so much that when people see you, they want to know Jesus and they want to worship him. When we worship Jesus, we want what he wants. Jesus came and died on the cross so that we could know him. And not exclusively. He wants us to make him known. As Shannon touched on last week, in a world of growing hostility towards our faith, making him known is only going to take more work and more dedication. It's going to take service. And not service to Redeemer Church. I'm talking about service to God's kingdom. I'll argue with you today that worship is a lot more about service than it is about singing. When you begin to worship God through service instead of on Sunday morning, your whole life becomes a living representation of the gospel. I love our church. I love uh, the worship here. I'm married to it. But here's the deal. We don't have earth-shattering worship here. We don't have a 17-piece band rocking a million dollars, rocking through a million dollars worth of sound equipment. There's not fireworks shooting out of guitars. People aren't going to swing in from the ceilings. But here's the deal. What if... What if we weren't focused on the one hour of a church service on Sunday, but we were more focused about our service to our community Monday through Saturday? For a follower of Jesus, worship is about giving. It's not about what we get. It's an ocean that should be swelling within us, and it should overflow into the world around us. Head and heart, spirit and truth, lived out externally because it's impossible for us to contain it internally. Worship is simple. It's to give God honor. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that um, as we leave this place and as we get an opportunity to live lives that reflect our love and adoration for you, that it's not something that's contained within 60 minutes of a service on Sunday mornings. I pray that we are able to go out into our communities and we are able to love people and we're able to live a life that when people see us, they see Jesus, and our service to him isn't something that is a burden to us. It's something that we do with glad hearts because it's the only way we feel that we can naturally respond. But God, that's something that's easy for us to say, but sometimes it's a little difficult for us to put into practice. And so God, I pray that in order for us to have that level of worship, that we seek you. God, I know that there's people here this morning that have not entered into that relationship with you, so they haven't experienced what that worship looks like. And so, God, I pray that, that you continue to work on their hearts as they try to sort through that. God, I pray that we don't let opportunities escape us. I pray that as we live in communities, we don't try to uh, leave them so that way we can seek out something that's better, but that we uh, dig in and we start to uh, connect people with Jesus. We love you. We say it, God. We say it because we do worship you. 
All God's people said, amen.